So, um, I get the honor today to introduce you to um, our speaker. His name is Pete Santucci, and Pete is um, in the process of planting a church in Bend, Oregon. It's called The Table, so I'm going to let him tell you all about that, but he's going to bring the word to us today. Um, again, we're talking about this concept of love and what does love mean in the Advent season? What does love mean in the gospel? So I'm going to invite Pete up here, and he's going to take over for me. Well, good morning. Oh, come on. You could do better than that. You have to be awake for this. Good morning. morning. I got up at 545 to come over to be with you because of love, Um, because of of a good friendship I've had with with Nathan for, I think it's six, seven years, something like that. Um, Yeah, I wish he was here to to actually spend some time together, but... uh, yeah, love Nathan. You guys should love Nathan. Do you guys love Nathan yeah. and Randall? I mean, I think they, they give a lot of themselves to you guys. So I don't know, when you're filling out your Christmas cards for them this year, you might want to slip a little extra in there. And they didn't ask me to say that, but uh, <laughs> show that love. Um, the, the tradition I, I come from when we read the scriptures... Um, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will repeat, thanks be to God. One of the things that's amazing about the scriptures is that God has revealed himself to us. He he hasn't just left us out there to figure out who he is and to figure out who we are. He's actually given us this gift of his word. So every time we read it, we want to be thankful to God for what he has given to us in the scriptures. So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 4, which is not your typical Christmas passage. Pastors always have to kind of come at Christmas from a different angle because we know the story. We've heard the story a bunch of times, and so sometimes we just get numb to it. So it's good to come at it from a different angle. So this is uh, Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4 and going to verse 7. See if you can catch the Christmas story In verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, we are grateful for this gift of your word. We're even more grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, we, we live in this time and this place, this culture that um, has so many different words that change. And we are so grateful that your word doesn't change, that you don't change, that you're the same, that we can know you, and that you have called us into this relationship with you, that we can call you Abba, Father. Pray that um, as we spend this time together thinking about this story and how it shapes us, how it changes us, that... um, that we will be shaped, and that we will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I love stories. 
I, I love to tell stories to my kids. I love to read stories, to listen to audiobooks when I'm in the car. I love to watch stories in movie theaters and on TV. We don't watch a whole lot of TV as a family, but when we do, it's generally a story. Stories are how we know what it means to be human. We watch, we listen, we see people in action, and we go, oh, that's how we do this. That's how we do this life. That's how we live this life. We learn our identities from stories. We learn what it means to live a good life from stories. Stories are also how we learn about God, how we learn how this world works. Um, I think from what I've talked with Nathan, you guys in your, do you have hub groups? Is that what, they, what are they called? Hub groups? And, and occasionally you'll go through the story of God over a number of weeks. It's a great way to immerse yourself in God's big story to understand who God is, how this world works, and who we are as a people. The story shapes our lives, gives meaning to our lives, One of the things that's interesting about God's story is that it's an invitational story. This is not just God's story out there somewhere, but he actually invites us to join him in his story. So when we're talking about love, we see Jesus' love expressed in his entering into this world, his offering himself, dying on the cross, rising for us, and then he invites us to do the same thing ourselves. We get in on his story. And this time of Advent is especially story-oriented, right? We come back to the same stories over and over again, especially the story of Jesus. And it's it's a unique story. Um, These these candles here represent a number of the themes uh, uh, that arise from this story. So Randall last week talked about Zechariah and hope. So that's, that's one of the themes today. We're talking about love. I think next week's peace and then joy after that. These themes that arrive, arise out of this. And, you know, thinking about hope, um, this last year and a half, there's been stories that have been told by presidential candidates which have not been hopeful stories, right? They've been fear stories. You know, if she gets elected, everything's going to go terrible. If he gets elected, it's going to be worse. So we, we've been living in this culture that for the last year and a half has been telling us over and over again, no hope, fear, 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 fear. The gospel is a hope story. Jesus gives us a hope story. We live in this world of conflicting stories all the time. The stories that the world tells us and the story that we tell ourselves. And so one of the reasons why we gather Sunday after Sunday is to hear this story again to remind ourselves who we are, who this God is, and what it's like to live in this world where God is active and present, and why we have hope, and what inspires this love, what gives us peace, what fills us with joy. In December, we tell a number of stories over and over again. We've got this this little canon of stories. We've got this Jesus story, but we've also got a number of other stories which are our Christmas specials, right? Every December, we get the same stories over and over again. And what's interesting is 
is we tend to have these, these two sets of stories, this Jesus story and these other stories, and we, we listen to them, we watch them, we read them, but we rarely let them be in conversation with each other. And this morning, I'd like to do that. We are going to get to Galatians. It'll take me a little while, but we will get there. So we've got these stories. So, for instance, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Everybody familiar with that one? Uh, it's a story of the Grinch. He's living lonely life in isolation. And his personal story is one of hostility and revenge, right? All those who's with their noise, noise, noise. And, and I'm thinking about the, the animated one. I haven't seen the Jim Carrey one, so I can't talk about that. But the Grinch is acting out of this personal story of it's all about me. And he expects the who's to be living out of the same story. But that's not the story that the who's are living out of. They're, they love their toys. They love to, um, to play on their hookahs and whatever things. Um, but really, their story is about living heart to heart and hand in hand. Remember that in the song? Heart to heart and hand in hand. Anyway. Um, So where the Grinch is living this isolated story of hostility and revenge, they're living the story of community and love and joy. And where the Grinch um, finds himself at a point of conflict, remember this part? He's at the top of Mount Crumpet, and he's about to dump the sleigh filled of toys over the side. If you haven't seen this story, come on. You guys, you know this story, right? He's up there, and... And he's thinking they're living out of the same story as he is. And he's about to dump them, the toys over the side. And what happens? He hears them singing. And he goes, wait a minute. They're living out of a different story. And so he's at a moment of crisis. Does he keep living out of his story of revenge? Or there's this other story. And so he, he makes a change. And he moves out of his story and adopts their story. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible um, image of what you guys are doing here in Albany. You guys are living out of a Jesus story. And yet, as a community living out of this story, you are showing this Albany community there's a different story out there than the ones that you guys are living. I mean, that Advent conspiracy, that is a radically different story than a culture around us is living. So... It's, it's an evangelistic moment. And the, and the who's haven't even said a word. They've just lived out of their story differently. And so the Grinch comes down and he starts being generous like they are. And then what's really incredible is how the story ends. Because not only do they invite him to join at their meal... He is the host. They actually put him at the head of the table. He's the one who carves the roast beast and, they, and passes it around. And I love it because everybody serves everybody else. The plate goes all the way around the entire table. They're all at a single table together. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful image. I think Dr. Seuss stole that from the scriptures. Because that story so resonates with what we read in the scriptures and in this Jesus story. So I love seeing the, this, this um, conversation that we can have. Um, I mean, the scriptures end at a table, right? In uh, was it Revelation 19, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
where God himself is the host. And we live heart to heart, hand in hand. Then, of course, there's that most excellent of Christmas stories, Elf. Uh, I love it. It's, it's about an innocent one who comes from somewhere else, comes down and enters into this cold, lonely world and transforms the people there. Each one. He, he confronts um, deception and hypocrisy that you sit on a throne of lies. Line. I love that. Uh, he, he confronts uh, arrogance. He's an angry elf. Um, he, I mean, he repairs relationships. He inspires belief. Uh, and people are changed. They're, they're transformed by encountering him. And they, those who don't sing, sing again because of him. And of course, it's super funny. So there's a reason why we love these stories. I mean, they're, they're echoes of the real story, the big story, God's story. Then, of course, there's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, and I, I'm thinking not so much of the 1964 stop motion, stop uh, that, um, anyway, with the land of misfit toys and all that. I'm thinking of the, the song that Gene Autry made famous back in 1949. And in fact, you guys all know the song, right? So I invite you to stand. Come on, I'm a guest. You have to be nice to me. <laughs> And you may never sing this song in worship again, but we are going to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer this morning. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer... Used to laugh and call him names like Pinocchio. They wouldn't let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games like Monopoly. And one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Ho, ho, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then all the reindeer loved him, and they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history like George Washington. All right, great job. Well done. You guys are great. Now, before I do a little compare and contrast with the Rudolph story and the Jesus story, I'd like to extend the story. Because I've always wondered what happened next year. Anybody ever think what happened next year? So, you know, the elves, they get, they have jobs to do all year long, right? They make the toys for next year. So what do the reindeer do? do they just play reindeer games? Um, so... The next year comes around. Rudolph has been excited, 364 days waiting for this next Christmas Eve to show up. And there's Santa in his workshop. He comes up behind him, and he's like, hey-ho, Santa. Santa goes, bang, bumps his head against the sleigh. Surprised by Rudolph. He's like, so I'm ready to go. Santa, like, is holding his head because he's bumped it against the sleigh. And he's like, "Um, well, Rudolph... um, 
have you taken a look at the sky? There's, there's no fog. I'm, I'm not going to need you this year. So why don't you head on home? I'm just going to stick with my regular team of reindeer. So that's, that's one scenario. Let's try another. So Rudolph has now come out of the nose closet with his red nose. And all these other reindeer have also come out of their nose closet. And they've got different colored noses. There's some pink noses, some blue noses. But this year, the nose that's really popular is yellow noses. And red noses are so last year. And so there's this young, cute doe with a, with a yellow nose who Santa wants to lead the sleigh. So Rudolph, he's out of luck with his out-of-date honker. So let's try another one. Rudolph stays on Santa's team. He has made, he has made the, the squad, and he is now part of Santa's team. But they never have a foggy year like they did that one year. Because, I mean, think about it. It was foggy around the entire world at the same time. How does that happen? So it never happens again. Rudolph does, does his you know, number of years. He retires. And he becomes a local at, at the bar, a regular at the local bar. And he's there every night telling the story about when he saved Christmas. His one day in the sun and he never has that happen again. People humor him, but he's mostly just a drunken disgrace. He, yes, he goes down in history, but mostly he's history himself. Then here's a quick one. Um, Rudolph goes through puberty. His nose stops glowing. End of story. Um, one more. Santa assembles all of the reindeer lines them up, and then he lets them have it. He says, I've had it up to here with your reindeer games. Every year, I tell you to cut it out with all this petty infighting, excluding some, including others. But does anything change? No, nothing ever changes. So I'm done. You guys... I've threatened you over and over to replace you this year. I am. And so he uncovers the Claws 3000. (laughs) The space age sleigh. It's uh, it's got a great lighting array for if there is fog. It's got rocket jets. And not only is Rudolph out of a job, all of the reindeer are as well. All of these to point to one thing. Rudolph is just a nose. That's all he is. When the other reindeer exclude him, it's because of his nose. When Santa includes him, it's because of his nose. It's the source of his trouble. It's the source of his success. All Rudolph is, is a nose. And then there's that part, then all the reindeer loved him. Isn't that, that's like the most chilling line of the song to me. There he was, December 23rd, and all the other reindeer are still mocking and excluding him until the fog rolls in. 
And now he's a superstar. Now he's famous. He's, it's, he's, he's every celebrity's nightmare. Because every celebrity has this, this, this fear. Do I know, I mean, do people love me? Or do they just love me because I'm famous, because I'm wealthy, because I'm whatever? Rudolph has been functionalized. Rudolph has been reduced to what he can do. Rudolph is only loved because he's useful. Does that, does that sound familiar to you? Anybody ha- experienced that in your own life where you've been... You've been loved, you've been wanted because there's something that you can do for them, for others. I mean, this is an American story. This is what we do to each other over and over again as Americans. We mock or ignore people because of their differences until those differences become useful. Until we want those differences for one reason or another. And then when people are no longer special, we drop them like a hot rock. Um, my niece's husband is, is married to Brandon Crawford. And if you're uh, baseball fans, you'll know he's the shortstop for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon was, was, um, was in the, on a minor league team for, for a few years, and then the shortstop for the Giants broke his arm. And so they, they brought Brandon up, and he, he played for a few months, and then his batting average just tanked. Uh, it was about 180, and so they dropped him back down to the minors, and, and we, we'd been excited, and then we're like, okay, well, I guess that, that was his one shot at it. And, but then they brought him back up, and um, when they went to the, the World Series, uh, and then, um, then he made the squad, and, and last year he was, uh, was an all-star, and now he makes millions of dollars. But Brandon knows that he got his job because somebody broke his arm, and he knows all he is is an injury away from losing his job. And there's a thousand guys waiting in line to take his job from him. As soon as he's no longer performing at that high level, he's out of there. He's replaceable. And then we've got our our movie stars, especially female movie stars. Um, Anne Hathaway uh, talked uh, not that long ago about how she is no longer getting roles that she used to, to get because she's no longer the hot young thing anymore. Because uh, there's all, all these young 20-somethings who are willing to and able to take roles. And we, just, we have this thing as, as movie-going people that we just like young, beautiful women in our movies. And that's how it goes in this culture. We we are, are a disposable culture, and it's not just our our coffee cups at Starbucks. It's people. That's how we treat one another in this culture. So, this Jesus story. How does this Jesus story differ from the Rudolph story, which echoes our culture's story? Have you ever noticed that nobody who encounters Jesus in this Christmas story? ever does their job. Anybody ever noticed that? The shepherds, they're out doing their job. They're watching their flocks by night. But then the angel comes, and what do they do? They, come, they go with haste and find Mary and Joseph and the babe. 
they leave their flocks. This is not a good way to ensure job security. They stop being shepherds in order to go be with Jesus. And the Magi, they don't do any magic. You, you know that Magi is plural for magus, which just means magician. Yeah. They don't do any magic. They follow a star. They show up. And all they do is give gifts. They don't even say any wise sayings. So they're not, I don't know how they're wise men, but um, they don't do their jobs, just relational stuff. Anybody know what Joseph does as a job? He's a carpenter. How much carpentry does Joseph do? Does he even make a cradle for his baby? Where does, where does Jesus sleep? In a manger. Joseph did not make the manger. Now think about first-time parents. Would you willingly put your child into an animal feeding trough? Now maybe if it was like your third child, you know, because you, you don't do nearly as much good stuff for your, well, at least, you know, you don't take pictures as much. You know, the baby books get smaller as each kid. You know, there's nobody, well, at least in our culture, that's as like health, you know, like germ conscious as a first-time parent. And there's Mary and Joseph. And Joseph doesn't lift a single hammer or hit a single nail during the birth or any of that with Jesus. And then Zechariah uh, that Randall talked about last week. He's, he's a pastor and he is not able to talk for nine months. Think about that one. Pastors who can't talk for nine months. They're, that's really tough for pastors. The first thing that he does is write his son's name down on a piece of paper. It's relational, not job-oriented. The only people in the Christmas story who continue to do their jobs are Herod the king, the Bible scholars in Jerusalem, and the soldiers. And they're the bad guys. The Bible scholars do their jobs perfectly, right? They open their Bibles, they, they point to the, the verse that says Jesus, or the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and they give such great directions that the Magi go straight there. But what do the Bible scholars do? They stay at home. They, they're great at reading their Bibles, they're great at doing their job, but when it comes to actually going to be with Jesus... They don't do it. That's, that's a scary one for me as, as a pastor. I don't ever want to be in that thing where I'm doing my job, but I miss out on Jesus. And then there's Herod, who's quite kingly in what he does. He meets with foreign dignitaries. He sends out soldiers. But he never meets with Jesus. And then, of course, there's the soldiers. They follow their orders. The Rudolph story and the Jesus story collide in how we treat people. Are we noses or are we human beings? Are we functions or are we persons in relationship? Are we defined by the jobs we do or are we defined by the love we share? Jesus came to restore our humanity to us and to invite us into a relationship with God and with one another, regardless of how well we function or not. 
So that leads us finally to our passage. It's a good job waiting for this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. I loved the story earlier about adoption. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That word Abba is is one of just a handful of Aramaic words that was so important to the early church that they didn't translate it. They stuck with the word that Jesus used himself. It's, it doesn't quite mean daddy. Uh, it's more dad. It's, um, it's not a word that only kids would use. It's a word that adults would use, but it's, it's this intimate relationship. It's, it's, um, it highlights this relationship that we have with God that Jesus has opened up for us of he's our dad. So you are no longer a slave function, but God's child relationship. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. You get in on everything of God's. In this passage, Paul refers to the the Christmas story. But when the time fully set, or the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And all the best stories have a but in them. Things are not going very well, but something that surprises us as the listener happens and it changes everything, turns everything upside down. And, and things turn out well when we hadn't expected them to. And that unexpected thing is God's son entering into the world. The whole purpose of that birth, Paul tells us, is that we might receive adoption to sonship. God wants us to be his kids. God wants us to be in his family. Love is at the center of God's story. It's at the center of Christmas. I don't know if many of you are fans of Bonnie Vare, the musician. I uh, just released an album uh, a bit ago. And in one of the songs, he has, has a unique word that he drops in there. The word is unorphaned. To be orphaned is to experience a terrible tragedy that the scriptures tell us over and over again touches God's heart in a unique way. So it's not surprising that the gospel unorphans us as God adopts us into his own family. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. We are not a slave. We are not reduced down to the functions that we could do. We are not reduced down to when we can be useful. I mean, it's good to do good work in this world. But that's not what we are reduced down to. We are not just our noses. We are sons. We are daughters. We are God's children. And we get to call him our Abba. We don't earn any of this. It's all gift. It's all invitation. 100% gift. 
pray with me. Lord, um, thank you so much for this story. For this story that, that challenges us to, um, to think about ourselves and the others around us differently. Lord, forgive us for when we reduce those around us to functions, to usefulness. Um, Help us to be people that always return others to this relationship of love. Thank you for unorphaning us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.